What the 28th Sutra speaks of? That Tat Japaha Tat Arthabhavanam. In the 27th, it was mentioned that the Vachaka, the name of Ishwara, is Om. That's the most universal name. It's apart from its spiritual significance, which we have described in details. It has some practical implications. It's a monotone sound with the effect of the merging of the sound of a gong. When you strike a gong, the sound you will find that the sonorous sound gradually merges and it has a very soothing effect. The pronunciation of Omkara is something like that. It soothes our psyche and it's not only that, it actually enables us to have a very deep meditation. So this Omkara has been used as the universal name of God that was mentioned in the 27th Sutra. The 28th Sutra spoke of, which we were studying in the last class, that in the background of our mind, in whatever activities we are engaged in, a part of our mind is always engaged in the repetition of that Omkara. It's a practice. If we can do that, a part of our mind remains engaged in the chanting. And it's not a mechanical chanting. When you are chanting Omkara, the name is always associated with the person about whom you are thinking. Because the name immediately evokes the thought about that person. So here also the moment we are chanting Omkara, immediately the significance of the Omkara, the one who is represented by that Omkara, the Ishwara, 
the idea of the Ishwara immediately should be in the background of our mind. So otherwise, the Japa will become mechanical. And that's the way we continue with our Ishwara Pranidhana. As we mentioned, that it's not that uh, we are sitting for meditation by trying to stop all the vagaries of mind. So that is as good as the practice of the Ashtamarga. We told that Ishwara Pranidhana is such where the effort is the least. It is just the shift of awareness. And with that shifting of awareness, all the efforts become spontaneous. So the steps that has to be followed are followed spontaneously just by keeping that awareness in our mind of the presence of the divine. And that we do with the help of the repetition of Omkara. And what's the result? That the 29th Sutra, which we spoke of, that if we can get habituated with this type of practice, that always I'm trying to have the presence of the divine in my life by enshrining God in the cavity of my heart. He's as if sitting there, he's always with me. And I'm just to think of him, a part of my mind is always engaged in the repetition of the Omkar, of the Pranabhadhvani. If I get habituated with this type of practice, then what happens? That the 29th Sutra spoke of that. Tata Pratyak Chetana Adhigama Api Antaraya Abhava Chak. Pratyak Chetana. That we immediately get indrawn. The tendency of the mind to constantly break into the vagaries of thoughts. That gets attenuated. The mind gradually starts diving within and, try, and gradually gets more and more identified with the witness consciousness. At present, my awareness is scattered, is identified with the knowables, all the things which is known by the mind, the knowables. And with that practice of Ishwara Pranidhana, I develop that attitude, I develop that aptitude to dive within, to be aware of that witness consciousness in a very detached manner. It's not that I get rid of the activities of the life, they go on, but to a certain extent I know very well that I am just, the, the real me is just the witness of all the activities that this psychophysical existence is undertaking because of the situation, the responsibilities of life with which, in which it is placed. It's neither forsaking, it's not aiming something more, it's not very ambitious, nor does it reject. In the words of Swami Vivekananda, neither seek nor avoid. The body-mind complex in a flow goes through the activities through which, for which it is entitled. But the awareness behind that is never getting identified with the activities. To a certain extent, it can remain detached and has developed that witness attitude. Just as if seeing the things, just the way when a band party is passing through the street from the own house, from the window, I just witness it. 
that it came, it was, it was there in front of the street for some time and now gradually the sound is fading away, it has gone. So one after one, the thoughts are coming, staying in my mind for some time. As per the responsibilities, particular type of thoughts are coming, staying there in my mind, particular type of feelings are coming, particular type of emotions are evoked, they're staying there in my mind for some time and then they're passing away. Agama, Apayana, Anitya. Then none of them is something which defines me. I owe none of them. Whether it is the good thoughts, bad thoughts, it is something uh, which speaks of some distress, whatever it may be. I have developed that attitude. It is not me who am distressed. It is not me who am going through all the experiences. It is just the psychophysical existence. I am just the one who is witnessing. So with Ishwara Pranidhana, as Ishwara is Klesha Karma Vipaka Ashay Akparamrishta. He is not untouched. He is untouched by the Kleshas, by the afflictions, by the results of the karma. He is above that. He transcends that. And by constantly keeping that awareness in my mind, though I can never become Ishwara, but I have the potentiality to manifest the Ishwaratva, that all those divine qualities which is represented by Ishwara, that I manifest in my life by constantly keeping that awareness of the presence of the divine in my life, by enshrining the divine in my heart and by constantly repeating the Omkar, the universal name of God. So that helps me to die within and to develop a detached witness attitude. And once I do that, the next result ensues. What happens? That first the Pratyak Chetana Adhigama happens and then Antaraya Abhavacha. Once you develop that attitude, spontaneously you are indrawn, spontaneously you have developed the detachment, that witness uh, self is now more prominent in you. Then what happens? Antaraya, all the hindrances that come in our life in various forms, what the hindrances are that will be spoken of in the next sutra, which we will be studying today. Siddhi gradually you will find is getting obliterated automatically, spontaneously. There is a psychological reason behind it. Whether we know it or not, it's a programming. Once you get or die within, gets established in your witness self, you will find the hindrances are falling off spontaneously. What those hindrances are have been spoken of in the 30th and the 31st Sutra. So we will take one by one. First, let us go to the 30th Sutra. We will share the screen to refer to the Sutra and then go for the discussion or the explanation of the Sutra. So this is the 30th Sutra. What it is speaking of? Vyadhi, Styana, Samshaya, Pramada, Alasya, Avirati, Bhranti Darshana, Alabdham Bhumikatva. 
अनवस्थित्वानि चित्त विक्षेप च अंतराय सो व्हाट आर द हिंड्रेंसेस फर्स्ट कम्स व्याधि द डिजीज वी विल फाइंड व्हाट टू स्पीक ऑफ आवर स्पिरिचुअल लाइफ इवन इन आवर डे टू डे लाइफ the disease becomes a big impediment you will find that the uh, the well being the moment your body your mind is diseased even to undergo your day to day daily acts becomes something like a drudgery you don't feel like doing the enthusiasm is lost so that and for what to speak of the spiritual practice but we find that somehow or other we are prone to various disease what is the cause of it that we will try, try to understand today what is the cause of the various disease which we again and again which recurs in our life in various forms there the disease may be many what are the basic reasons behind that and how ishwara pranidhana helps us to get rid of vyadhi of the disease that is the first impediment next is restlessness in this life you will find sometimes you don't even understand that why you are restless it happens because of two reason because of uh, sometimes the mind is restless because of too much involvement in the various uh, engagements in life too much so many engagements i have so many uh, responsibilities i have and that makes me restless that to certain extent we can understand there is a reason behind it but sometimes it happens that there is no reason but i find i am restless if we can go deep into a psyche we will find that as sometimes we find that we have nothing to hold on that the our uh, security the sense of security to certain extent is being uh, disturbed that i don't find anything to i just hold on to in life that creates a type of restlessness and that has been spoken of as stiana so it happens in our life from a type of loneliness sense of loneliness sense of isolation a type of restlessness develops in our life it it is a very common feature in our life nowadays though we are surrounded by uh, so many our relatives friends so many activities there are so many ways of recreation all those are meant to socialize so that i don't feel as if i am alone i am aloof but in spite of all that we find that though we are intensely engaged in all the social activities deep within my heart there is a sense of loneliness and aloofness as if no one belongs to me the sense of belongingness is not there that's a big paradox that though we are in the midst of relations friends all sorts of relationships our family members still that deep within my heart a sense of uh there's a loneliness aloofness aloofness is good i would say rather loneliness which uh constantly like a rust is as if constantly eating us from within so that actually speaks of stiana and then in spiritual life 
a very common thing is the doubt. Most of us with all enthusiasm start a particular type of spiritual journey. After some time, when we find that as if no progress is happening, a lot of doubt starts developing. Is this practice okay? Is it really going to help me? Most probably it is not okay. There must be some better practice. In the present day, because of our this social media, we are exposed to so many varieties of this uh, spiritual practices, traditions. Uh, it has actually become a big disadvantage. You will find people are just hopping from one type of practice to the other because they're almost constantly doubting and in no way they are helped. Always it happens, you will find when you start a new spiritual practice, at the beginning, it, it gives you a feeling as if you are get, getting a lot of benefit out of it. After some time you find it has become monotonous, it is not helping you in any way. Again, you hop, you jump to some new type of practice and then again it gives a feeling, oh, this is the one which was most probably suitable for me. The previous one is in no way, was in no way helping me. And again, after some time you find you have reached a plateau and again you jump. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say that the people of Calcutta, as he was in Calcutta at that time and he was observing the people of Calcutta, actually it is a fact with the entire world. So he was saying that the people of Calcutta are hujuke, are very that uh, curious mongering. There's, they always want something new. And he gave them a very nice example that if they would have dug the ground in one place, they would have most probably got the water. But what they're doing in search of water, in search of water, they're digging well, they've started digging a well. After digging as little, they find the a rocky terrain and they stop digging and they just shift the place, start digging in another place and they find it's full of sand. Again, they shift. Instead of continuing to dig in one place, they go on shifting the site and they never get water. What a nice example. It's the doubt which actually almost forces us to hop from practice to practice. And it in no way is going to help in our spiritual journey. That little enthusiasm that we get at the beginning of any practice becomes an obsession after some time. It becomes an obsession. It's a way of tintillating our nerves in the words of Swami Vivekananda. It tintillates our nerve and we develop an obsession, a weakness to tintillate our nerves with new practices. And it gives some sort of enthusiasm thrill at the beginning. And it again, we find reaches a plateau and again we hop. In no way it is going to help us in our spiritual journey. And it all it starts because of the samshaya, the doubt. And then the lack of proper understanding. If I don't know what, uh, that what my practices is going to lead to, where it is going to lead me, then what happens because of that lack of proper understanding, that's the pramada, you start losing enthusiasm. Your practice, maybe you may be continuing with your spiritual practice, but it in no way 
is motivating you to really intensify the practice. It becomes something monotonous, drudgery. Just I have to do, I'm doing. So that is pramada. Because of the lack of proper understanding, you lost total enthusiasm. And then lethargy. What's the difference between pramada and alasya? In pramada, because of the lack of proper understanding, you have lost enthusiasm, but most probably you're practicing. But alasya, lethargy speaks of that you have stopped the practice altogether. That the lethargy is not allowing you to practice at all. Practice has stopped. So that's the basic difference between pramada and alasya. And then you find that you cannot abstain from the old ways of life. That is again another hindrance. That non-abstination, avirati. Virati means intermission, interval. So spiritual practice should enable us to have, if not a continuous flow, at least at the beginning, I should have intermissions, intervals from all the so-called sensed pleasures of life, from the so-called uh, mad rush for the immediate pleasures of life. We are constantly chasing. At the beginning, let there be virati, let there be some intermissions, but I find that in no way I can even have an intermission. There is no virati. So that is a virati. That's a big hindrance. And then even uh, what happens that sometimes you have not reached any spiritual uh, goal, but you feel, you feel that's a deluded notion that I have attained something. Just by as Swamiji used to say that most of us hear lecture, read books, and that gives us a good feeling. And I feel as if I am progressing spiritually. But Swamiji is saying that that actually is no spiritual progress. Maybe intellectually, I am being to certain extent benefited. The the, what's the, all the doubts about the intellect of the spiritual truth to certain extent is getting cleared. But that doesn't in, either in any way speaks of the real spiritual progress. What's the difference between intellectual understanding and spiritual progress? It is just the realization and a notion. When someone speaks to you about the taste of mango and you think, oh, I have understood. Oh, it's sweet. It has a wonderful flavor. And you think you have understood the taste of mango. But it is just a notion. The real taste of mango you will know the day you really test it. Then that's the realization. Then you find there's a lot of difference between this notion and the realization. This Bhranti Darshana is this, the deluded notion about the attainment, that you have some intellectual understanding, you have developed some notion, but it in no way speaks of the realization. And that again is a big impediment in our spiritual journey. And then non-attainment. And sometimes you are quite, you may not be deluded by taking the intellectual understanding as the realization, but you find that in no way you're progressing. There's a constant that uh, dissatisfaction is there. Nothing, no change is happening in my life. No, it is non-attainment. And even if you attain for some, to certain extent, you cannot continue there. Again, you fall back. That is anavasthitattva, the falling away from the state when obtained. Now, all these 
uh, impediment, which I have spoken of in the 30th Sutra, is obliterated by Ishwara Pranidhana. I need not have to take care of all these obstacles one by one. Just by practicing Ishwara Pranidhana, they all fall off automatically. So how it happens? Let us take up one by one and try to understand that how that what is the cause of disease and how it is obliterated by Ishwara Pranidhana. So first let us take as this Vyadi, a disease. Now the source of all disease are afflictions. The kleshas, the pancha kleshas which has been spoken of in the Yoga Sutra. What is this for pancha klesha? Avidya, asmita, raga, dvesha, avinivesha. It's very, actually, this terminology sometimes uh, becomes an hindrance in understanding, but it's something very commonsensical. It's something speaking, which uh, is very, very justified. That we, though we are that conscious principle, the Purusha, which is constantly, uh, which is never associated with the Prakriti, but because of ignorance, I think, that I am the reflection. So when the conscious principle gets reflected in the mind and the, it starts thinking it is the mind, it is the body. This association, this wrong association is the avidya. From that avidya, from that ignorance, what happens? It results in asmita. Asmita is your sense of ego, that this psychophysical existence is the me. This, my skin is the boundary of me and not me. We just, whatever is within this is me, whatever is beyond that is not me. My mind, my body is my identity. To define myself, my name, my position in life, and this, uh, what you say that Mamat, uh, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this me and mine, this becomes my identity. So that is spoken of, this ego is the asmita. And once that asmita comes into picture, the rest three follows. The raga, dvesha, and avinivesha. What are they? Attachment, aversion, fear. To understand that, that again and again we give that common example. What to speak of a human being? Just take a small microbe in a petri dish. The conscious principle when it gets associated with that microbe body, Immediately that asmita, that sense that I am this small microbe results in raga, dvesha, avinivesha, attachment, hatred, and fear of death. How? That the moment I think that I am this little creature, I'm just this small microbe. What happens? Now, in the petri dish, you see that, uh, that there's all those microbes are there. They are moving around haphazardly. Through a microscope, you just look at it. And now you put a drop of nutrient in the center. You will find all those microbes has gathered a direction. They're now moving towards it. This speaks of attachment, raga. Why that raga has developed? The purusha who is beyond all this, what you say, this the cause casualties. Nothing can affect the purusha. Nothing can nourish it. Nothing can destroy it. But the moment it gets associated with that micro body and it starts thinking that it is that, anything that is favorable, 
that is nourishing for its existence, for the existence of that micro body, it gets drawn towards it. This is Raga. So the microbe is drawn towards it. And instead of, in place of nutrient, if I keep some, if I put some toxic material, the toxic matter, some toxin there, just in opposite direction, they will move away from it. Dvesha, aversion, anything which harms me, which doesn't give me pleasure. Me means the psychophysical existence, that anything that doesn't give the ego, the association with the psychophysical existence, any pleasure, which harms that, it is, it, it is repelled by that. That is the dvesha, his aversion. And Abhinivesh is fear of death. That dvesha is when it is more intensified, when you know that the thing which is harm, going to harm me is not only just going to harm me in a small way, it may even kill me. And that creates that Abhinivesha, that fear. So Dvesha and Abhinivesha is the fight and flight response. So now we will gradually try to understand that how these Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha are the cause of all diseases. So nowadays, uh, uh, even in medical science, it is an established fact that the diseases are all psychosomatic. Psycho means mind, somatic means the body. It is the mind which affects the body. And that's what we will be discussing today, that how these clashes, the afflictive emotions affects our health. So now, after understanding this Raga, Dvesha, Avinivesha, what it is, we will find that if you try to find out the basic factors of our survival mechanism, that each and every being from a microbe till the human being, if you take the entire gamut of the living organisms from a microbe to the human being, from a microbe to the most evolved human being, you will find the basic factor for the survival. There are two factors. One is growth and the other is the protection. For growth, I have to have food. I have to assimilate, that speaks of the growth. And protection speaks of, I have to be always protecting myself from all the dangers, which is going to disintegrate my psychophysical existence. So these are the two basic factors which entails my survival. So as we have seen in that example of that Petrides example, the raga is a factor which is responsible for our growth. When you give a nutrient, it is drawn towards it. This attachment is responsible for the growth. And dvesha and abhinivesha is responsible for protection. If I give toxin, I have to run away, I have to protect myself. So this raga is responsible for growth. Dvesha and abhinivesha, this fight and flight response has a utility. It, is, it takes us to the protective mode. Whenever we find that our life is endangered, our existence is endangered, it takes us to the protective mode, which we understood, which we just had an idea with the help of that Petri dish experiment. Now, it seems it's quite okay that, that Raga is good. It helps us to take us towards all the favorable factors of my existence and Dvesha Abhinivesha helps me to protect from what is harmful and how it is going to affect my health. Yes, they are good. Primarily, they are good. In spiritual sense, they are never good, we understand. But even for our physical existence, you may say they are good. 
but even for our physical existence they are the factors these are the factors which are actually primarily something which is doing the benefit but in the long run you will find we get obsessed by them and when we get obsessed this raga dvesha vinivesha becomes an obsession becomes something compulsive they become the cause of all the vyadhis all the diseases we will try to take up one by one that how raga becomes compulsive all our attachments in the present at present know it for certain how we have got obsessed by them at some point of in the process of evolution they were the necessities which we were pursuing again and again because our pursuit to get the necessities again and again those pursuit became habitual once it became habitual we forget the necessity just to do it becomes our liking all the present obsessions are actually will find has something to do with necessity that example which we give uh, gave again and again give again and again a small child is not drinking milk the easiest way to make the child drink milk add a little sugar and now you will find it is very easily suckling that milk and we say the child has an innate likeness for the sweet things for the sweetness but how that innate likeness have grown it is how it has entered into the genes the nature the, the, the scientists who uh, study the evolution process of evolution that how in nature the evolution has happened they have really have done a lot of research on this that how we have developed the obsession a small child has an innate likeness for something sweet so very nicely they have researched that what's the thing that long long back ages ago our ancestors who were still food gatherers they were yet to learn agriculture they were yet to learn cultivation so they were not food producers they were food gatherers every day morning it was a challenge for them to get food they will go to the forest to the jungle to collect to collect roots herbs and fruits as their food and come back in the evening for that day they have somehow managed to have their food again the thing again the process starts the next day so as they bring a food gatherer that every every day that uncertainty is there now as a food gatherer there was a big challenge for them in nature so many things are available now among all those fruits and herbs which are nourishing which are toxic how to find out so in a very short time they found out in the process of gathering in the process of collecting the roots and herbs they found out in nature if anything is sweet sweet fruit sweet herd herbs sweet roots they are never poison any other taste there's a doubt if anything is bitter it may be poison it may be not we are not sure about it but if it is sweet you can be just sure of the fact that it is not going to kill you it is going to nourish you and all these nature scientists say that our ancestors at the beginning had no test for sweetness it was just this out of necessity when they discovered 
that sweet is not going to kill me, it is going to nourish me. It is out of this necessity they were in search of sweet roots, sweet herbs, sweet fruits. And as they were in the pursuit of the sweet roots, sweet herbs, sweet fruits, it became their habit. A road was as if created in their mind. Their mind got wired. And once that road is created, the pursuit for the sweet, now they forget the necessity. Now they develop an obsession. They're obsessed. And then what happens? The moment you forget the necessity and the thing becomes obsession, now it will become the cause of all your lifestyle disease. Uh, I was in, in internet, if you search that highest sugar intake, which nation has the highest sugar intake? You'll find it's America. How? The hidden sugar is there in everything. To sell the, all the, the so-called uh, food materials, all the packed foods, they know if the, somehow you can add sugar, it will sell more. Everything, if we just, you know, now we have become aware, we go and check the sugar content. You will find that all the things which really we have developed a liking have high sugar content. What to speak of that? The Coke, there are some 36 sachets of sugar in one 350 ml of Coke. And we all like it. What has happened now? These, this too high intake of sugar because of obsession. We forgot the necessity is now the cause of all the lifestyle disease. Your blood pressure, blood sugar, obesity, everything you will find is linked with that. So what has happened? The necessity, that raga, which basically was there to nourish me, has now become the cause of my disease because of the obsession. So now you can understand that how when the raga becomes compu this compulsive, when you become obsessive, how it can, instead of uh, in ensuring your health, it becomes the cause of the disease. At present, you will find this, this, is, this say, obsession is the cause of all the lifestyle diseases. It is one of the factors. Now we will try to understand that dvesha and abhinivesha can also become obsession. And if they become obsession, they also become the cause of disease. So raga, we have understood that raga when it becomes obsession, then we forget the necessity. We go on having the things which actually nourishes us in excess. And that instead of nourishing us becomes the cause of the disease. That we understood. Now how dvesha and abhinivesha, they can also become obsession. Let us try to understand. Now how dvesha and abhinivesha becomes compulsive. So in the Petri dish experiment, we saw one thing very interesting, that growth and protection can never operate optimally at the same time. When you are going towards the center of the Petri dish, at the same time, you cannot go away. When you are in the growth mode, you're of course not in the protection mode. And when you are in the protection mode, of course you are not in the growth mode. These two can never happen simultaneously. Either you are drawn towards the nutrient or you have to run away from the toxin. 
And in humans, this process is still more complex. To give an example, that when we go to that fight and flight response to understand that, let us just think of a situation that you have went for a jungle safari and you have camped there and after your lunch, you had some your meal, you prepared some meal there, uh, your food and you have to, after having your lunch, now you're feeling a bit drowsy and you're having an afternoon siesta. Now, as you're in the deep jungle, suddenly you hear the roar of a lion and you feel it is somewhere near. The lion must be very near and immediately you get extremely stressed out that you find the danger is near and what happens? Immediately you come out of the tent and start running. And after running for a quite a long distance, you, you feel that now I am safe. I'm most probably far away from danger. So you are safe, you have saved yourself. But you will find by evening that there is uh, what you say that stomach distension. You couldn't digest your food. What has happened? You, after your meals, after your lunch, you were resting. Why that? Why we get that drowsiness after that heavy meal? Because now we are in growth mode. All the blood rushes to the stomach to help in the process of digestion. As a result, the brain the periphery of the body is not having sufficient blood and that gives a sense of drowsiness. And that's why we go for a siesta after a heavy meal. Now, the moment you heard the roar of the lion, now you have to protect. Now the growth and the protection cannot be together. So now the blood has to rush to the periphery, to the limbs, because they have to run. So it has, so this has to be done at the cost of my digestion. Immediately what happens, the adrenal alarm, the adrenal, see this our endocrine system, the moment the, we are in danger, the adrenal alarm is sounded and the stress hormones are released into the bloodstream. And what, the, what that they do, they constrict the blood vessels of the digestive tract, forcing the energy providing blood to nourish the tissues of arms and legs. Now you have to run. So now you understand that how the protection mode and the growth mode can never function together. When I'm danger, it has to, I have to get the energy at the cost of digestion. Because I know, though I may have indigestion for the time being, that is not the primary issue. First, I have to save my life. Digestion and all I can take care of later. First, I have to save my life. So that's how we are built. These two cannot go together. But in human being, as we told, it doesn't end there. That because of the stress, you get indigestion. It doesn't end there. This stress also affects the secondary protection mechanism. For a micro, we saw that the, when it is in the protection mode, the growth has got affected. But for us, when we are in danger, when we, when we are in the primary protection mechanism, or the secondary protection mechanism also gets affected. How? Now, almost the same example we take, that you are in a jungle safari. And now, when you are in the jungle, you have caught some flu. Because the flu infection, you are not feeling well. So inside the camp, you are taking rest. 
and now again you hear the roar of a lion. Now immediately you have run, you have to save yourself. You run, you save yourself at the cost. What you find the next day, your fever has increased. The temperature has increased. The flu infection has become more intense. Why? That hour that this when the adrenal hormone represses the secondary protection mechanism, the immune system. That is our secondary protection mechanism. When I am in danger, now to take care of the infection, it can be compromised for the time being. First, let me save myself from being, being mauled by the lion. First, let me save myself. Then I will take care of my infection. So here again, what happens? The stress hormone represses the immune system. So when you are stressed, your immune system again is repressed. Because now, first you have to take care of the primary protection to save yourself. So the stress factor, which fix, so the, from where the stress comes, from the fight and the flight response, it is always at the cost of the growth factor as well as the secondary protection mechanism, our immune system. Our immune system gets affected as well as our growth gets affected. I cannot digest, I cannot assimilate. I find I'm very prone to infection. But if it is for the time being, it's okay. I know I can again revive back. But what has happened in the present world scenario? That's, we can try to understand with the help of an example. What has happened in the present world scenario? As if you are going to take part in a 100 meter sprint, rest. You are standing on the starting point and there is one person to say on your marks, so you're on the mark, get set, you get ready. And now you're just waiting to hear go. So now you're hyper vigilant. The moment you hear that, we're waiting for that word go, so you run so that you can win the rest. Now think of the condition. The one who is just shouting. He has already said, the one who is about to start that rest. He has already said on your marks, so you're on your mark. And he told get set. So now, this is your adrenal system is flooding the peripherals, your arms, your legs with the blood. And has made you ready to run. You're of course stressed at that moment. And you're just hearing to hear the, waiting to hear the word go. And that word is never pronounced. So you are in a constant stress. That's why you have heard most probably that in the present world, we are in the get set mode of hyper vigilant lifestyle. We never get the relaxation. That fight and flight response, Dvesha, Vinivesha was there to protect me. But when it is constant, when I cannot never get the scope to relax, this because of the present, you will find the hyper vigilant lifestyle. So many responsibilities, it never gives me time to relax. And then this fight and flight response becomes something obsessive. That becomes compulsive raising of the false adrenal alarm. If uh, because of this present lifestyle, this hyper vigilant lifestyle, we are so busy. After uh, say about after a two or three months, 
most probably you get a long weekend and now you think you will relax. You find though there is no cause for stress, but because of that obsessive fight and flight response, the false adrenaline alarm has set in into your system. Okay? And now without any reason you find you're stressed because the false adrenal alarm is causing the stress. And now you find that instead of helping you, protecting you, this fight and flight response has become the cause of your disease. All the, even nowadays they say the cancer has something to do with your immune system. Our immunity, our growth is getting affected because of this false adrenal alarm, because of the compulsive fight and flight response. So now you will understand how clashes by becoming compulsive in the form of compulsive raga, dvesha, abhinivesha is affecting our health, is affecting our psychological health first, which in turn is affecting our somatic health, the body. That's why all the disease actually are psychosomatic. Now it has been found. There are many cases, even in our Ramakrishna order, I have seen that someone was suffering from asthma from the childhood. And after they joined the order, started living the life, the symptoms have started vanishing. He's enjoying health. How it happens? Now when we are adopting this mode of life where we are trying to be constantly aware of the presence of Ishwar, presence of God, the one who is Klesha Karma Vipaka Ashri, Apparamrishta, untouched, such a person is sitting in my heart, is enshrined. I'm trying to keep my awareness always on Ishwara. And that has made that first factor, Pratyak Chetana Digama, has made me more habituated with that witness self mode of existence. Everything is going on. I don't get identified. And then what happens? That Ishwaratva, that I cannot become Ishwara, but those qualities of the Ishwara, that slowly starts getting internalized. I get more and more saturated with that, absorbed with that. And then what happens? This Klesha, this, all the factors of, of the Klesha, I transcend them. But the problems of life are there. I am not that, uh, that I have got read of the problems. But I find that the obsessions are reducing, the raga is reducing, I can maintain detachment, dvesha, vinivesha, those the stress factors are there. I can continue with my activities without getting stressed by maintaining that detached uh, attitude, that witness attitude that is becoming more and more spontaneous by Ishwara Pranidhana. And you will find automatically as you take care of the psychological factors, the somatic factors automatically you will find is taken care of. The, all the effects of the turmoil, of the tsunami which is going on in your mind is now not going to affect your body. Previously, the tsunami in your mind was splashing, was wrecking your body. When the tsunami stopped there, your body is no more affected now. And gradually you start the healing process ensues and it helps you to get rid of the disease. And once you have that, that get rid of the disease, 
you find a qualitative improvement in your life. What to speak of the spiritual practices, even your day-to-day -day life, you find that even the existence itself has a, has a type of joy. That just to exist, you just see a small child. It doesn't have the various provisions which we have for our enjoyment. The small child is happy just by existing, it is happy. Even we envy the happiness of a small child. Why? Because he has no this glacier. All this is uh, he is yet to get entangled with all those glaciers. And there's a tremendous joy in living just to see a small child. And that's what happens. For the first time, we start experiencing that there's a joy in living. When your body becomes stress-free, when your body becomes free from all obsessions, and then you find that this is enabling you to get rid of the, all the disease and that let go ensues, giving you a sense of a type of lightness and that existence becomes something, uh, a, a bliss for you. So that has been spoken of as the first factor which gets eradicated by Ishwara Pranidhana. The other thing follows from that. Now when you st start enjoying health, now the sthyana, the restlessness, as we told that moment that we all are in search of our security zone. In life, we sometimes find that as if we are not have secured, there's nothing to hold on. The one who has started practicing Ishwara Pranidhana is always having the presence of the divine in his mind. As again and again we are telling, it is not that sitting down and meditating, just the awareness. Then you will find it becomes a very easy way to stop the restlessness. You don't have to force yourself to get rid of the vagaries of the mind by keeping the mind one-pointed by sitting for meditation. You will say Ishwar Pranidhan is also like that. No, it is just the awareness. To give an example, a small child you find has got, most probably while sleeping, was experiencing some nightmare and is highly agitated, it gets up. And now the child is crying. It cannot sleep because it is so agitated. Now what happens, the mother comes, seeing the child crying, the mother comes and just sits by the side of the child. And the child again goes to the deep sleep. So what it speaks of? The just the feeling of the presence that yes, the mother is just sitting by me, that you get a sense of it is a subjective feeling. It's not the presence of the mother, it's a subjective feeling of hooking onto something which gives me a, a, a sense of anchoring. I'm holding onto something. There's nothing to fear. That immediately relaxes. Immediately you find that you, all the collations have been relieved. So just the way the small child is not sitting, uh, just sitting and uh, meditating, just the presence of the mother immediately gives that relaxation. So that's the wonderful thing. You know, in most of the foreign centers, uh, there is, in Indian centers, because of a lot of activities, each center has so many swamis, so many monks. So they are living a type of community life. And when they hear that in the foreign center, there is only one swami in the center, and I, I myself have uh, heard that remark when some Swami came from the States and I was in India, I was a Brahmachari. I asked that Swami, he was a senior Swami, Maharaj, how many Swa uh, 
uh, inmates are there in the ashram, in your ashram. And very casually, he told four. Look, four? In a foreign center, what are you doing? What are the, there are no such activities. Four of you are there? He says, yes, four of us are there. Who are the four? That myself, Guru Maharaj, Holy Mother, and Swamiji. So this is not something uh, which is poetical. It's allegorical. It is a, not some, what you say, that a, a figure of speech. It's a realization. That's why we find even when in the lockdown, when, they, when all say that Swami, now no one is coming to the center, you should be feeling very alone. That, but if we can really develop that idea of belongingness, the living presence, it's not the picture, it's not the statue, it's actually the living presence. He's there as if a vibrant presence in my life, whenever, whatever I'm doing. He is there. That's that feeling. It's not sitting and meditating. That immediately gives you a wonderful calmness. The restlessness vanishes. So we must always remember that you will find sometimes that we have heard that in the Himalayas, in high peak, some swamis are there alone for the entire winter when the mountains have got cut off from the plains because of the because of extreme snowfall. No one can go there and the Swami is staying there in the cave for six months, seven months without any interaction with anyone. And sometimes we feel, how is it possible? And in our life, in our day-to-day -day life, with the mad rush in the so-called this metropolitan life, with so many uh, people around us, we feel aloof. So aloofness, the sense of isolation is not because of the physical presence of someone. It is actually because of the subjective feeling that I'm not alone. Someone is with me. That gives me a sense of belonging. If I don't have that, even in a crowd, I can be totally isolated and that can give me a sense of restlessness. So it is this type of subjective feeling and not the actual presence of someone that helps us to get rid of the sense of isolation. This is very important. That's why you will find the Swamis Monks, though living aloof from the societies, uh, they have no such that engagements as such, but they're always in bliss because they have developed that subjective feeling that the God is with me and he is a bigger than life picture. Just the way, way the small child thinks when the mother is there, nothing is there to fear. She can protect me in all possible ways. Here also that feeling comes. The Klesha Karma Vipaka Ashaya Paramrishta Purusha, a much a figure which is much bigger than life, which can transcend all the problems of life, is with me. And immediately, without any conscious practice, you find your restlessness is going away. So that's the thing how Ishwar Pranidhana takes care of Stiana. And then you will find that almost without any conscious practice, a change has, a transformation has started in your life and immediately the doubt vanishes. If by this Ishwara Pranidhana, if our health starts improving, the restlessness attenuates, obviously the faith develops. Yes, there is some visible change in my life. I find that I am enjoying a better uh, quality of life, better health, 
my mind has become calm it has given me as some anchor and immediately the faith that's all the doubt vanishes and that gives you the enthusiasm is all one follows after the other that enthusiasm and then the pramada that you know the uh, previously the practice was something mechanical it was a drudgery now you get the real motivation the enthusiasm in the practice the pramada vanishes alasya vanishes because now really have developed a taste for it that ishwara pranidhana is something which you as if cling to it it is something like as sri ramakrishna used to say when the flower blooms you won't have to advertise for the bees to come and suck the honey it automatically comes when your heart blooms with the presence of the divine so your the sip for sipping of the honey becomes something automatic you are automatically drawn towards it the lethargy falls off you become highly enthusiastic and this results in this non abstination so today we are almost the time is over this avirati bhranti darshana alabdha bhumikatva and anavasthitva these also follows one after the other once that pramada and alasya is gone that how what the psychological reason behind it that that we uh, uh, get read of all our, our old attachments how all the deluded notion about the spiritual attainment that falls off how we go and we can just we start attaining some spiritual realization in our life which at the beginning from which we may fall off but gradually we find we are getting more and more habituated to it more and more that state becomes something permanent that's what swami vivekananda used to say that what's the sign of spirituality that whether i am developing spirituality in my life or not just see how much time how much qualitative time you can spend in contemplation you can spend in high thoughts at present you may find that yes reading scriptures meditating gives me joy but i cannot continue for long maybe 15 minutes meditation after that i gets i get stressed out as if i cannot continue with my scriptural studies for long but if you find gradually you are spending more and more time qualitative time in all those pursuits that is the sign you are improving spiritually so this alabdha bhumikatva at the beginning you may attain and you may fall but gradually will find this anavasthitva is vanishing you are you can remain in that state you don't fall back more and more and more time and it becomes more and more absorbing so that's how all the this all these so called hindrances falls off spontaneously so we will discuss bit in details the avirati bhranti darshana alabdha bhumikatva and anavasthitva before we proceed to another four impediments which has been spoken of in the 31st sutra so we will take up in the next class with this we stop our discussion today namaskar swami ji thank you very much namaskar and good night good night good night namaskar swami ji ha namaskar namaskar good night namaskar swami ji namaskar